We have a real privilege today. I have a guest that's with us. We do this a couple times a year. Pastor Jim Critcher, he is, serves as an executive pastor of a, of a large church outside Washington, D.C., but he is recognized in the body of Christ as a prophet. Now, I was raised as, in the Methodist tradition. We didn't have, we wouldn't refer to people as prophets or apostles. Anybody else have kind of a tradition where kind of that part of the Bible was for yesterday, not to today? The problem is, though, and I'm grateful for my heritage, there are Bible verses that I could never escape. Ephesians 4.11, for example, when it talks about Christ's ascension and his plan to build his kingdom on the earth, verse 11 said, He, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and their purpose in verse 12 was to equip or train the saints, that's us, to train us for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, and then there's a question about how long do those offices last. And verse 13 says, it's until we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. How many know we're not there yet? And uh, I just want to encourage you today, if perhaps in your tradition today or, or your experience with God, you're not sure how much of the supernatural elements of the Bible are, are, are for today, give an ear today to the Word of God as it comes to you. You know, the ministry of the prophet in the Bible is somewhat varied. In some respects, it can, it can have a, a foretelling. Agabus, for example, a New Testament prophet, he predicted a famine that was going to come uh, to the, or the region around Jerusalem. Lo and behold, it happened. But most prophecy or prophetic words is just simply hearing what the Lord would say and encourage a person. And 1 Corinthians 14 tells us is to encourage us, to build us up, to edify us, to strengthen us. And how many know it's a good thing when God's talking to you? Praise the Lord. Hey, give the Lord a good hand today. Let's welcome our dear brother, Pastor Jim Critcher. God bless you. Take your liberty. Well, good morning. It is great to be in Tex Arcana. And you know, it's, it, this is my first trip here. You can't get here from Washington, D.C., by the way. Uh, there's just no really good way to do this. So I, I got to see a lot of your beautiful countryside between Shreveport and here. Um, but it's great to be here because you listen to my accent and you don't deduct 20 IQ points initially. Um, no one thinks that's funny here in Texas and Arkansas. Um, but in, uh, I, I got this accent for living 45 years in North Carolina. All right, you don't you don't learn this wonderful southern drawl by living in the north. You only get it in the south, where things are slow cooked. You with me? We talk slow. We savor our syllables here, and we think slow too. But that's a whole another story. But it is great to be with you. Your hospitality truly has lived up to its reputation. I've been well fed, well taken care of. Love your pastors. What a tremendous staff God has given this church. Yeah, that, that's an opportunity for you to respond right there. You know, you can many times tell the destiny God has put on a husband based on the wife that he gives him. All right? But you can also tell the destiny God has on a church by the leaders that God has given that church. And as I look at your pastoral staff, I look at their heart after the things of God, let me just tell you, God has some tremendous things yet in store for this house. Everybody excited about that? Aren't you glad God still talks to us? It's an amazing thing. The day I got married to my wife 32 years ago, I told her I loved her. They're right there in the vows. But it's an amazing thing that somehow every day she still wants to hear, Do you love me? 
And she, she just wants to hear it over and over and over again. And yet God is continuing to talk to us. And I'm very, very glad for that. And let me hasten to say the primary way that God speaks to us is through this Bible. Don't kid yourself. We love spiritual gifts and prophets and prophecies and things that go bump in the night and all the woo-woo stuff out there. But the way that God primarily talks to us is through His Word. And the reason we love this Bible is that it's passed through the process of inscripturation. And every word in that book, you don't even have to question. If God wrote it, it's true. Because God cannot tell a lie. This will keep you awake. If God, to- if God told a lie, it would still be truth. Okay, so just just think through that one for a moment. All right, that's very existential. That'll that'll keep you going. Okay, but God does speak to us by verbal means. There's this thing now called satellite radio. Maybe some of you have it in your car. I don't have it in mine, but just because I don't have satellite radio doesn't mean that those signals aren't out there. And if we had the right, if I had the right equipment, I could pull in that signal. Well, guess what? God has wired you and I to be able to receive His voice. Because He's placed the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. He was so intent about this communication that He died not only to redeem us, not only to cover our sins and give us a place in heaven, but He says, unless I go, another won't come. Do you realize that the privilege of the Holy Spirit that we appreciate today took the death of Jesus for you and I to have it? Now, so when we get casual about the things of the Spirit... When we get casual about talking in tongues, when we get casual about spiritual gifts, let me just tell you, there's nothing casual about the fact that it took Calvary to release the Holy Ghost to you and I. And we do never want to limit that sacrifice by limiting the movement of the Holy Spirit and receiving that which He has. And yet, God has put a receiver on the inside of us to receive His voice, to receive His presence, to receive His love. But it's an amazing thing that unless you have that satellite radio on in your car, it still doesn't do you any good. Correct? you got to be on. Scripture says that God does speak now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. The reason we don't perceive it is that our receiver, many times, we leave off. Hello? And so we've got to position ourselves to be able to continually walk in the voice and the presence of God. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to just let God talk to a few people here before we get into the Word of God this morning. All right. Turn to the book of Second Kings this morning. Second Kings. Those of you biblically challenged, that's right after the book of First Kings. We want to do everything we can to make you walk successful in God here this morning. That joke doesn't work at all. Uh, it, 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 re- it doesn't really work well. At, in, we have a church in Brooklyn, New York, which is primarily uh, Russian Jews, completed Jews. And they're actually, in the, in the Russian Bible, there are four books of kings. And so it, that joke really doesn't work in that culture. All right. How many of you read through your Bible many times and you wonder, why is that there? Yeah. I mean, you look at how how many... How many books did not make it into the Bible? How much biblical writing or, not, or, or, or writing by the apostles and teachers and others never got inscripturated? And you're reading through it and it's just like, why, why does that take up Bible real estate? All these numbers and begets and begots and that's just a weird little story right there. And yet we know that 
All Scripture is God-breathed. We know from 2 Timothy that it's, it's there for instruction, etc. and so forth. And yet we look at these passages and we kind of what I call speed bump over them. We don't really stop to dig them out and figure out, okay, why is that there? And why is God, how is God wanting to speak to me through that Scripture I don't have highlighted in yellow in my Bible? Okay? Let me encourage you in your Bible reading, read the ones that are not in yellow, okay? Because there's still some illumination God has for the rest of those. And this passage in 2 Kings chapter 6 is one of those odd little passages that doesn't seem to really take up a whole... It's like, I, I, don't, I don't know why it's there. But God has given me some really unique insight that I believe speak to where we are as a nation, but I also think it speaks to a number of where we, number of those... Uh, let me say it in English this time. I think it also speaks to where many of us have found ourselves as well. It's about the prophet Elisha, 2 Kings... We see earlier that there's been a transition. Elijah's been taken up to heaven the way that we all want to go. And we see that a double portion anointing has now fallen to Elisha. I love, I love looking at the ministry of Elisha because what we see here is a type and a shadow, literally, of the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament. And so we see many of the miracles and many of the ways that he, his ministry unfolded that gives us a real insight into Jesus himself. But in the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 6, we'll read the first seven verses together. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. And one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? He showed him the place. He cut off a stick, threw it in there, and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Let's pray. Jesus, come to us today by your Spirit. Open this passage to us. Open our hearts and teach us. God, move us beyond information to transformation. God, change. Change us today fundamentally by the hearing of your Word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The sons of the prophets... The way that prophets were trained in those days is they assembled together around a known prophetic figure, Elijah. Elisha had schools of the prophets that gathered about them. And they would, they would live together and they would be trained. And it says the sons of the prophets came to Elisha. See the place where we dwell under your charge. Well, first of all, we see something that's working well there. They're one, they're dwelling together. And they say, under your charge. What we see immediately here is order. How many of you know God is a God of order? 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, All things should be done decently and in order. He's a God that has a plan. He has a specification. I mean, when God decided to make the world, I think it's so cool, He made water before He made fish. 
I mean, it's a really good plan, isn't it? I mean, I got I would have gotten excited about the fish and made them first, and they've been flopping around dying. Oh, I got to make water. But see, God's God, and He gets all this kind of planned out. And so God is looking for order. He's looking for authority to be operating the way that He is designed. And in this moment, we see these young men are dwelling together. The Bible says it's good that the brothers dwell together in what? In unity. Why? Because there's a blessing commanded there. And so we love, that's one of the things we love about the community of the church is that God has given us this vehicle where we can do what? Dwell together. Hallelujah. And God has put those in the church that have what? They have authority. And so for us to be able to say we dwell together, we acknowledge the leadership here, that's the beginning of the blessings of God really beginning to be poured out. And so here, they're together. They're acknowledging leadership, but they say the place where we dwell under your charge is too small. It's too small. Now, how many people recognize a problem but don't really insert themselves into the solving of that problem? I love folk that come to me in the church and they'll they'll come up to me in between services and they'll say, you know, the church really needs to. You guys really need to fill in the blank. Now, the last time I checked, you is the church. <laughs> pastor John and the Nell and the other pastor, they're not the church. You is the church. And you see, when things begin to work is when we can identify a need. And yet, rather than just waving our signs and sending an email to the pastor, we say, you know what? I recognize the need, but... I'm going to insert myself into that place and I'm going to provide a solution. Very important that you hear this. And so they say here, let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log. Let us make a place for us to dwell there. What is the common denominator in that passage? Us. Plural. Not you need to go build me a bigger place. You need to go do something for me. Oh my. Remember when you were really young and you wanted a drink of water at night? Mom! Didn't matter. You just got up. Mom! Your dad, you knew better. But, you know, moms, moms just, they, they put up with that for a little bit longer. But there was that seminal moment when you were three years old or four, or hopefully you weren't 17, when you tried that trick. Mom! Thirsty! And she said, boy, you've got two legs. There's water that comes out of the faucet, and you know where the cup is, so you can either die or you can get up and get it. Hello? And you realized, hopefully you weren't 17 when your mama told you that, because you're going to be 40 and still living in her basement if so. But you realized in that moment life had changed forever. And probably not to your... Greatest liking. Thank you very much. But these guys are saying here, let us. We're willing to do something about this. And we're willing to go, each of us, get a log and contribute to the building of this thing. You realize that God has given each of you a log to contribute to the building of this corporate house. He's given you a gift to divest into this house. 
And not just financially, but God has given each of us spiritual and natural gifts. Nod your head. The question is, are you bringing your log to the corporate building? But you see, what gets them to this conclusion is they look around and they say, you know, this place is too small. It's just too small. Children like small things, do they not? They like miniature versions of toys. You know, it's so cute. McDonald's at Christmas, you know, collect all four, okay? But it's some small version of something. I've seen your children's department here. It is off the chain. Congratulations. I mean, it is amazing. But you've got these, you know, little storefronts and little houses and little doors. And the little people have just got to love that. But you know what? It's not a lot of fun for us big folk. And part of the manifestation of, of, of kids growing up is that all of a sudden now they realize this is too small. Now, even sociologists in planning nurseries and daycares and what have you understand that children derive security from being in very small spaces. I had this grand, granddaddy talk. I had my first grandson last year, all right? Hallelujah. The most special human male child ever to appear on the planet with the exception of Jesus, my grandson, all right? But Ethan came and, and, and the kids had learned this thing called swaddling. Any young parents here? I mean, it's the big thing now, all right? Swaddling. And basically, you make the baby into a burrito is what... This is like little, little human burritos is what it is. And, and so they just... And the kid is like this. And you can lean them up against the wall. I mean, you don't have to even lay them down. You just prop them up against furniture. And they're just... They're very happy right there, right? I'm just thinking, if it works so good for kids, why couldn't we use it with our 16-year-old daughters? We'll just swaddle those women until we're ready for them to get married. What do you think? Come on, daddies. All right? You'll buy one of those for your unmarried daughter. All right, you know what I'm talking about. But you see, what happens, though, is that while Ethan loved it when he was a month old, all of a sudden now, it doesn't work anymore. Because you begin to look around and say, I need some space. And, you know, our kids begin to grow up, and they're like, you know what, I need some space. Mom and dad, without you in it, get out of my face. I mean, and so we see that and it's like, oh, my baby's gotten rebellious. No, your baby's growing up. Because you see, part of, and this is really good to see in a male, when that, when that, that male teenager begins to push away from his mother, you know, you want to see that. Now, you want to see it done right. But you want to see some independence. You want to begin to see some leadership. You want to begin to see some man begin to rise up. And so we begin to see children begin to say, I need some space. And you see, recognizing our smallness is often the genesis of God's enlarging in us. You see, one of the things we have to continue to do is get larger. And I'm not talking about just eating, you know, good Tex-Mex food and another notch in your belt. That's not the kind of enlarging I'm talking about. But, you know, as folk get older, the problem is they tend to get smaller. Ever looked at your grandmother from year to year to year? And it's like, Granny, you're shrinking. I mean, are you just, you're just getting smaller. And it's, it's a fact that many times older folk do actually do what? 
they begin to get a little bit smaller. But that's a physical manifestation, sadly, of something that's going on on the inside. Where we just say, you know what? I'm just gotten as big as I'm going to get. My wife and I care for my 80-year-old father full-time. He lives with us. And my dad's world is about that big. That's about it right there. And it's pretty much reduced to the weather channel and a bird feeder and lunch. That's about the size of my dad's world right now. Okay? And yet, somehow God wants us to recognize we need to begin, we need to continue to get bigger to the purposes of God and to His kingdom throughout our life. And we need to fight smallness with everything on the inside of us. Hear me. Hear me. I mean, we're looking for God to enlarge His, the kingdom and enlarge the church and touch a city and touch a state, touch a nation. But many times the enlarging has to happen in you and I first. We gotta fight smallness. And many times when we recognize it, it's a manifestation that God is coming to you and I and saying, I need you bigger. And it's a manifestation of our maturity. We're growing up. We don't look around and, and, and pine away. Oh, I remember when the church was just a few hundred people and everybody knew everybody else and we could all get in one service and we all love one another. I just miss those days. Well, boo-hoo. <clears throat> boo-hoo. Go start a small group. It's not, it's not complicated. Amen? But the reality is things, healthy things do what? Healthy things grow. And so we've got to grow with it. And so they present this plan to the prophet Elisha. And what does he say to them? He says, go. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for this divine green light. That our dream, our idea, we find our destiny, begin to walk in it. We're looking for that divine affirmation and permission that says, go do it. Hallelujah. But this is very interesting. It says, then one of them said to Elisha, would you come with us? Now, this is, this is weird for me. Here's a group of men that are gathered together to be with the prophet. They're going to go build something, but yet, of all the guys that were there, only one of them said, oh, by the way, you want to come? Why, why, don't, why don't you come with us? Years ago, I went on vacation and Went on vacation with another family, and the, the man that I went with was also a prophet. So my pastor at the time. So our families would vacation together. We rented a cottage on the coast of North Carolina. Got out there, and I mean, life was good. You know, our wives had our kids out on the beach. I was propped up in a chair with one of many books and a big bag of Cruncher's barbecue potato chips. I mean, life was good. My son had been out, my, my, my son had been out in the sun for about 20 minutes, came in, and he had sun poisoning. 20, no, 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 not, no, no marks, no hives, no nothing, just this violent itching. And so being the man of, you know, faith and power and paste and flour like I was, we're, we're loosening and binding and rebuking and my prophet friend and I, and we're just, and then, so we wind up in the emergency room. So my son gets the obligatory shot of Benadryl and we go home. Now, what I failed to tell you in that story is that as soon as we drove away from the cottage, all of his symptoms abated. We came back to the cottage, and when the cottage got in view, he started itching again. 
After multiple trips to the emergency room in three days of this, I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm not having fun. We're not having fun. We're leaving now. Now, I had told God prior to this vacation, I'm really tired. I was having my Elijah in the wilderness under the broom tree moment. And I told God, I'm really tired. And I really don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want any revelation. Basically, I want to just, you just leave me alone for a week. And as we drove away from the cottage, and the cottage was still in the rearview mirror, all my son's symptoms disappeared. And God said, the next time you go on vacation, don't uninvite me. It's like the old American Express commercial. Don't leave home without it. And what's fascinating here is that these, these prophets, they had a great idea. They had divine permission. And yet only one of them said, would you come with us? How many of us get our marching orders from God? We have a dream. We have an idea. We have divine permission and affirmation, prophetically, pastorally, however else we get it. And we take off, and yet we don't bring God with us. Do you realize you can try to operate in God's plan without God's person, and it will still fail? Hear me. Marriage is a really good thing. Would you agree with that? Hey, you're sitting there this morning. Yeah, but you ain't married to the Antichrist. You know? That's all right, baby. You ain't married to Jezebel either, are you? Okay. But no, marriage is a good thing. The Bible declares if a man finds a wife, he finds a... Thank you very much. And so God has affirmed that. It's a great institution. And yet, if you don't bring God in the middle of that thing, regardless of how much God has ordained marriage, if you don't put the third strand in that cord, it's still going to be a weak rope. Even though marriage is God's idea. And it's amazing to me to see Christians, and they've got God's plan, they've got God's permission, and yet they fail to bring God's person into the equation. Scripture says, stay in step with the Spirit. Guess what? You can't stay in step with the Spirit if you don't have Him with you all the time. Not some of the time, but all of the time. So one of them said this. Now, they get down to the Jordan and they begin to fulfill their destiny. Here's their dream. We're going to build us a bigger place. Now, it says, though, as one was felling a log. I mean, they're there, and this is old school. I mean, we're not talking about swamp loggers here and, you know, multi-million dollar equipment and steel chainsaws. We're talking old school. And they're cutting these trees down. They're fulfilling their dream. But as one was felling a log, it says his axe head fell into the water. Wow. And he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Some context here. These young men had taken a vow of poverty. They didn't have anything. Nothing. And they and the and the the original language here was not just a casual, oh by the way, can I borrow your phone for a moment? No. It literally the word says it was begged. Meaning, I really have got to have this. Have you ever borrowed something from someone and either lost it or brought it back damaged? Let me give you a picture of how this would look. You borrow someone's car 
and the car gets stolen. And you come back to your friend and you have the keys and say, uh, I got a little bit of bad news. There's no car. And I have absolutely no way to replace it. I'm giving you a picture of what this would feel like in this particular situation. You say, man, it's just an axe head. But this is not a trip to Home Depot. I mean, this is an impossibility. There's nothing I can do to make this right. And we look at this and it's just like, well, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold the phone. I'm doing this. It's a plan of God. I've got the prophet here with me. I've got the presence of God here with me. And yet I'm in the middle of doing the will of God. And yet this thing happened. I wish I knew the stupid spirit I could cast out of the church. It's the best one I know how to, 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 to define. It's just a stupid spirit that somehow says that just because you walk a figurative altar and give your life to Jesus, that somehow you're never going to have any more difficulties. It's a stupid spirit. If you never needed to be comforted, why would God show up as a comforter? He promised us, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I will what? I'll be with you. And so here we are, they're cutting and they watch. As I mean, it's what, what, you ever had an accident and watched it in slow motion? All car accidents happen in slow motion for some reason. And all of a sudden he sees this axe head fly off the handle and fall into the muddy Jordan. There's nothing that he can do. It's gone underwater. Interesting word. If you go to Wikipedia today and look at underwater, you'll find that one of the prominent definitions is now financial, not literally underwater. How many, time, how many have heard that word underwater in our culture once or twice in the past two or three years? I mean, it's a financial term now that we hear over and over again about the number of people that are, quote, underwater on their mortgages. Words like short sales and strategic defaults and all of this terminology that we didn't even have in our vocabulary three or four years ago. Now we all know it real well. Because if I were, gonna, if I were to get a show of hands this morning, how many of you are underwater on your mortgage, that probably a number of hands would probably go up. And you say, you know what? Well, what's the deal? I'm doing the will of God. I'm tithing. I'm giving offerings. I'm praying. I'm a really good guy. I've been to the missions field. My wife serves a nursery once every three years. I don't understand. Why am I underwater? And these young men, this young man, right here, everything lined up. Under authority, with permission, with the presence of the prophet, this thing still happens to him. And for many of us, we've watched our dreams, haven't we? We've watched our destinies slip off our figurative axe handles and fall into the muddy water. And we're standing there and we're saying, what did I do? God, where are you? I don't understand this at all. 
Alas, my master, it was borrowed. And he goes on here. And the prophet says this. He says, show me where it fell in. It gets even stranger. It's like, wait a minute. We, we know the end of the story. We know that the axe head's going to float up to the top. and we're going. I wonder how many floating axe heads were in the Jordan that day. It's just like, okay, um, hmm, uh, yes, see. Oh, that one's mine right there. No. So what difference did it really make that he showed him where it fell in? Because regardless, we know what, we, we know what the miracle is. But there's something that was important that he showed him the place. You know, many times we'll talk to everybody else about our problem but Jesus. We'll blog it, Facebook it, tweet it. We'll talk about it in our life group. We'll send a prayer request out to the intercessors. We'll come to the altar and tell the pastor about it. But many times we need to get off the phone and get to the throne. And we need to tell God, ask God, this is the place where my dream fell on the water. This is where it happened. The day, the time, the place, the person. Once again, when you were young and you would fall down and scrape a knee or hurt yourself, you come running in the house. And once again, what was, what was the battle cry? Mom! Because you weren't going to find Dad. You could come in dragging a limb under one arm, an arterial bleed, and your dad would be, walk it off, boy. Walk it off. I ain't paying no doctor today. Walk it off. And so if you got hurt, you weren't going to dad because you weren't going to get any sympathy from him, right? Man up, boy. Go on back outside. Find something to either hit with a bat and kill it. But your mom, you would always find mom if you were looking for sympathy, would you not? You go, ah! And she would say, well, show me where it hurts. And invariably, you would keep your hand over it. What was it about that? Because you somehow felt like if you kept your hand over it, it would be okay. Now, you've got to be over a certain age to understand where I'm going, but uh, you, the, the younger millennial generation in here, because you had smiley, smiley face band-aids and back team. No, no, no. We had iodine, methylate, and mercurochrome. All right? Hello? Orange. Remember that orange stuff? And the color manifested what color it was going to hurt you. All right? And your mom would be like, well, let me go get the mercurochrome, baby. It's, oh, no. Um, no, no. Let it get infected and rot off. It'll be fine, really. I can live life with one arm. It'll be okay. Because you knew she was going to hurt you with that little orange bottle. We do the same thing with God. We're terrified he's going to hurt us again. And we keep it covered. And God is saying, show me the place where your dream died. Show me the place where that child broke your heart. Show me the place where that spouse disappointed you again. And we're terrified that if we really let Jesus take a look at it, he's going to hurt us. Now, the promise in the Bible is He would never harm us. I don't know about you, but God's hurt me more than once. Hello? I love my children. 
They're whooping that grandson. Talk about conflicted grandparents. On the one hand, don't you hit that boy. On the other hand, you better hit him. I mean, it's really bad. But you know what? They And I'm not talking about abusing children. I'm not talking about beating children now. But I mean, they realize that at a very early age, they're going to hurt him in order to later save him. Amen? God will do the same thing with you and I. But we've got to show him the spot. We've got to stop telling everybody else about it and finally go to God and say, I hurt here. And I need you to meet me in this spot right now and touch that thing that's causing me pain. Anybody getting this at all? And the story goes on. The prophet throws, he throws some wood in there. Who knows what that's all about? And it says the iron head floated up to the top of the water. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And he said, take it up for yourself. Now, it's a pretty good miracle because the last time I checked that iron was heavier than water. So it's a pretty good miracle that some natural laws have been violated here. And he said, take it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. So many times we're looking for God to do it all. Hear me. You see, one of the real keys to the Christian life is to understand what's God, what is God's part and what is our part. Can't get confused in those two things. And often, when Jesus would perform a miracle, there would be some point of requirement He would make on the person receiving that miracle. It could have been as simple as, go wash your eyes. The miracles happen, but you gotta get that, you gotta get that mud off there. Go wash your eyes. He told the man at the pool of Bethesda, pick up your mat, and walk. The miracle had occurred, but the miracle had to be manifested through a point of obedience. Everybody getting this? He had to reach in, violate natural laws of gravity, but the miracle was only complete once he had participated and cooperated with it. And you see, God is calling many of us in these days. And let me just tell you, they are difficult days. The Bible calls them evil days. And I tell you, as I look out upon our nation prophetically, I don't get real encouraged, but as I look at how God has positioned the church for revival, I get real excited. Because let me tell you, we all come, most of us, uh, we all, forget most, all of us came to God at some point of need. And God is not afraid to bring about a point of need in a nation to drive people to His person. And if the church will rise up and be the church in these moments. Get beyond the four walls and get over themselves. And do what God has called us to do and go and make disciples. Let me just tell you, we are poised in the next ten years to see the greatest outpouring of God's presence, God's glory, and evangelism in the history of this nation. We really are. But here's that's the good news. But the bad news is, you and I are going to live through the difficulties at the same time. Meaning that the way that we, we operate in God is going to need to change. And God is calling us from a passive role of just reaching up. And we were taught this. You reach up to receive. And that, that's, that's fine. But the reality is, this is still somewhat of a passive role. We reach up. And children do this when they want something or want to be picked up. 
But I got to tell you, I haven't had anybody pick me up like this in a long time. God is teaching us that we're going to have to reach in for some things. Now, hear me. This is not some weird, you know, faith, blab it, grab it, name it, claim it kind of message right here. I'm talking about a way that God is training us to grow up and respond and to reach in for his promises. See, when we were children, things were placed in our hands, were they not? When Ethan was just a few months old, we would place something in his hand and he would instinctively do what? And, of course, grandparents, boy's brilliant. Look at it. Child's a genius. I knew it. It's instinctive. But you see, now, guess what? When we get older, if we want something, we have to do what? We have to take hold of those things that are around us. I'm amazed at believers that think that this one little spot where they're standing in is that everything's always going to fall directly in their path. We have a number of professional football players in our church. And you know, it's an amazing thing that regardless of, of how good the plays are, how good the quarterback or the running back is, it's amazing that things happen from the snap to the reception of that ball. Things have to be adjusted along the way. And you know, I don't know much about, about sports, but I know this. If you can just be where the ball is, you're going to be all right. But that means you're going to have to do a lot of adjustments along the way to get to where that is. And I think that many of us, that we, we think that the rain and the blessing of God is going to fall in this one little spot right here. But what we may have to do is begin to stretch and move around and reach in and take that which God has poured out for us. We've got to begin to see differently. Our perception has to change. We have to be prepared to receive. And then we have to participate in that miracle at the same time. You see, that participation, and I'm going to close with this. Most of the time, it's one thing keeping us away. You know, most of us that have walked with God for a moment, it's not the big stuff anymore. Messing up, adultery, false gods, stealing. You know, we, we, we got most of that down. It's the little attitudinal stuff now. It's that little thing behind our back that says, you know what? Ain't nothing wrong with a little R-rated movie. I'll just watch with one eye and just not get totally defiled. It'll be all right. If I lose, if I lose this eye, I'll have a second one. Or you know, I'm out of town. I think I'll just, I think I'll just have a, I'll have a beer with dinner. It won't make any difference. Now I'm, I'm not going to get involved in setting, setting the ethics for you in terms of movies or alcohol or anything else. It's not what this is about. But it's about God writing things on your heart and my heart that we continue to ignore. And we say, well, it ain't no big deal. Well, it may not be in the world's eyes or even the church's eyes, but it may be that one thing that's keeping you out of the best of what God has. Hear me. For most of us, it's not even those practical things. It's these little attitudes of the heart. Jesus told the rich young ruler, one thing you lack. We think it was because the guy was, was really wealthy. And I know the Bible does say that. But for many of us, the one thing may not be great wealth, great talent, great gifting. That one thing may just be that one point of independence we want to continue to exercise. One thing is going to keep us away from receiving that miracle. Are you hearing me this morning? What have I said? 
many of us find ourselves in some way underwater. And that's not just a cultural term. We know what that feels like. If you've ever almost drowned, it's quite an experience. I was in college, 1975. Don't, didn't swim real well. Got in trouble in the, in the pool. Did it right underneath the lifeguard where the lifeguard couldn't see me. My wife-to-be pulled me out. I was down for the third, for, for the third time. I was gone. And somehow I felt this hand and she reached down and rather than drag her under, I don't know how this happened, I just relaxed and let her drag me up. She tricked me into marrying her by saving my life. I felt obligated after she saved my life to marry her, all right? Pretty good trick, wasn't it? And yet, we know what it's like to feel that way. And for some of you in this room today, you've You've watched your dream. You've watched your destiny. Maybe you've watched the greatest place of strength and power and gift that you have fall off the end of your axe handle and fall in the bottom of that muddy river. Let me just tell you something. God's about to do a miracle. He is about to do a miracle. And that thing that has fallen to the bottom, He, by His power and His grace, He's going to raise back to the top. But you've got to participate with this miracle. And you've got to reach in. You've got to reach in. And you've got to take it out. You know, that axe head probably didn't look real different. Axe heads were kind of, you know, they weren't shiny. It was just iron that had been cast and been beat out. So you had a kind of a gray-brown river and kind of a gray-brown miracle. And there had to be, you had to kind of look a little bit. But there was a distinction. There's a distinction now that God is calling many of us. Take it out. Don't just, don't just stand there wringing your hands and saying, God, I, could you let this happen to me? I've done everything right. I've done everything according to your command. And yet, this happened. God says, there's a miracle coming. Don't accuse me. Just walk with me. If that's you today, and you've watched something fall underwater. Maybe it's a relationship, child, marriage, finances, business. Maybe it's just a, a delayed dream. That's you. Put your hand in the air right now. A lot of folk here. Keep your hand up for a moment. Because the identification of those hands, it's not for me. It's for God. That you're saying, God, I am happy to raise my hand right now and say, resurrect my dream. God, we pray right now for these precious men and women. God, where disillusionment and disappointment has tried to cut in, rob them of their joy, rob them of their destiny. God, we thank you that you are a God right now that is bringing that which has been submerged back to the top. And Lord, in faith and by obedience now, we reach in and we take hold of that miracle. Satan, we tell you that what you tried to steal, to kill, and to destroy, that God by His power, mercy, and His grace is bringing it back to the top. And God, we reach in now by faith and we take it and we receive it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
and amen. Give God some praise right now this morning. God bless you. Thank God. Thank God. Tell Pastor Jim you appreciated him coming. Give him a big hand this morning. Thank you for coming to Texas. Praise the Lord. What would you like for him to come back, see us again sometimes? Hope you will. Praise the Lord. It was good this morning. Well, it is really a rich morning. And I, I, I hope, you know, you don't just walk out the door and just turn it off. I hope you allow the Holy Spirit an opportunity to breathe on that in your life. I take notes of everything. I'll go back and I'll feed on it again. It'll be on our Internet in a day or two. Be up there. You can go back and listen to it. Download it to your iPod. You know, you can just let it, let it, let it filter in you again. But listen, God speaks to us. You know, in the, in the parable of the sower that Jesus gave, it's interesting about what happened to the seed of the Word of God. Sometimes the seed of the Word of God, the first thing he said was be real careful because birds come along the path and steal it away. And then Jesus explained that and he said, Satan comes to steal the Word out of your heart. He wants to steal your faith. He wants to rob your joy. Something happened to you today. And I want to encourage you, hold on to it and don't let go of it. And let it be like that hand that's pulling you out of the water, drowning. Praise the Lord. There is a river.